Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Word on the Hill podcast with the Lanky Guys. My name is Father Peter Musset. And my name is Scott Powell. Was I too excited for that opening? Yeah, totally too excited. I don't usually do the first words of the opening, and so it was a lot of pressure. Well, what happened is that I started to try to do it in in other languages, in in some glossolalia. Yeah, and uh, and and Scott refused every single one of my attempts, and so he had to do it himself. Well, that's not exactly how it went down, but we'll we'll, we'll take that narrative. <laughs> we'll let that one take. I mean, I did it twice. <laughs> that's good, that's good. And then you then you said, "I'm just going to take this upon myself. <laughs> I, I will veto these openings. <laughs> they he, need they merited vetoing. He has the record button." I do. No, that's true. I have all the power. And right and now. he edits and he takes and he I have all the power. When I whenever I say a dumb joke, he just edits it out. Yeah. Hey, we are approaching um Pentecost. And, Pentecost, uh, the most important yet underestimated and forgotten feast day in the church. <laughs> I I think Pentecost gets a ba- gets a gets a hard lot in life. Because by the time you get to Pentecost, I people like I feel like people are so kind of checked out of the Easter season right. that we've kind of forgotten that we're supposed to be waiting for something really really significant. But I mean Pentecost in so many ways is this is what the whole Easter season has been preparing us for. Right. But because the season of Easter is so long, I think it really does fatigue people. And we we also have this culture in which after Lent, you finally get to Easter and we're like, it's Easter, it's the end, it's over, we'll have our chocolate, have our bunnies and then it's done. Right. Rather than remember, I mean I, I can't say enough about this. I mean, it, this is Pentecost. Yeah, I'm not, it's not more important than Easter, obviously, because Easter is the sort of capstone of our faith, the resurrection. But the resurrection is meant to point us toward this, because this is the moment that the rest of the church then, in a, in a profound way, participates in what's happened. Absolutely. And and it's... So I'm all worked up. Yeah, I can tell. I'm, <laughs> I'm all I'm, hyped. I'm, I'm, I'm like, dude, I don't need a hype man right now because you've got all the adrenaline about this. I do. I feel adrenaline about Pentecost. Well, I like Pentecost. Um, it's funny because... Maybe we, I'll t- title the podcast that. I like Pentecost. <laughs> I like Pentecost. Well, I, I mean, I've been having debates on when the end of the world could possibly happen, okay. you know, in, the, in this time. Which, and this is a, as good a time as any. And, and right now I've got one friend who's got a big bet that Pentecost is going to be the end of the world. Cause, really? Because it's the summation of everything. Is it Dave Hazen? No. <laughs> it felt like Dave Hazen when you were saying it. I don't know why. I don't know what Dave's bet is. I could call him afterwards. I mean, what, I are, you gonna, what are you going to bet, though? I mean, if the world's ending, you don't really get your payout, quite frankly. I mean, that's one of the ones where you, you kind of win, but you lose. <laughs> like, I'm just saying. Yeah, like, that's a tough bet. It always, it always feels like the you lights going on. You don't want to play on. the odds on that. You know, it's like the lights go on at the, uh, at the nightclub at the end of the night. Like, you can't go home, but you can't stay here. Like, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. You know, like, I like to, I like to put that on every once in a while because it just kind of brings us. Uh, put sub- it on? Yeah, the like, idea okay. that Jesus is about to just turn the lights on and he's going to be here right now. And you're like, oh, where am I at? Like, what are my attitudes? Who am I? Like, what? how do I need to get right? How do I, um, like, if the Lord is going to come right now, where am I? I'm like, is my DVD collection organized? Or like, Yes, I'm looking you know, at like, it right now. Have I, have I done the KonMari method enough that I could move all of my things in no. an instant? Like, no. I can't. <laughs> that, that's a no. It's like, am I materialistic and totally obsessed with myself and my own opinions and how the world should be? Yes, it, I am. And so, <laughs> like, so you, you say, oh, okay, well then, 
gosh, how do I how do I make a plan of life for Pentecost so that the Lord can be here and I can become a sacrifice unto the Lord? You've definitely set up, I think, in a lot of ways, a lot of what my own reflections on Pentecost have been. Um, in a, in a, yeah, I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that in a second. But you've, your setup is perfect. Again, with, with the things that I've been thinking about. I well, talked about Pentecost with some folks yesterday, and it was a great conversation that brought a, a lot of things kind of bubbling up in my heart. Bubbling. Bubbling up. Um, should we talk about the readings? Uh, first reading is uh, from Acts 2, 1 through 11, we which should... is going to be the core of our conversation today, I bet. Well, we should clarify that there are a couple options for Pentecost. Um, there is, and see, this is where, again, I think Pentecost gets the short end of the stick. There are options for a full-blown vigil of Pentecost. And we're talking like vigil, five like readings. Easter vigil, vigil. Five readings with like um, psalms and the, right. like, we're talking 10 plus. You like know an saying? Easter vigil, for, for real, because that's what, and nobody does it. Of course, Maybe somebody does it. I don't, I don't really know. I've never experienced. Genesis, Exodus, Ezekiel, Joel, Psalms, Romans, John. I mean, like this thing goes hardcore. But it's the church actually showing how deep and vast the importance of Pentecost actually is in the life of the church. You know who, it doesn't counter Easter, but it's, it's kind of up there with Easter. You know who always does? this? Uh, I want to guess, but I'm not going to. Neocatechumen away. Ah, uh, the Neocats. They, I can see that. They love the vigil, man. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I, I, it's kind of cool. Yeah. And um, it's funny, the only thing I have to say, the only really meaningful thing I have to say about the psalm, uh, well, I'll get to that in a minute. Okay, so did you already say the first reading? Acts yeah. 2, verse 1 through 11. Yeah, I just wanted to clarify I that. I like that you said it. Just You asked me, and then you're like, I'm just going <laughs> to say it anyway. <laughs> but just for good measure. <laughs> just for good measure. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, okay, so our responsorial psalm is Psalm 104, verse 1, and then 24, then 29 through 30, 31, and 34, with the response coming from 30. Right? Yeah. And yep, then our, yep. our reading of the second variety is 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, <laughs> 3b to 7, skipping over the gifts, going to 12 to 13. It talks about the gifts. It just doesn't tell you what they are. Yeah, it's not an exact, exhaustive list. No, so that's okay. That's a, but I still think it's kind of funny. Like, yeah, um, it's a little funny. Yeah, it's, yeah. Not, it's not like hee haw funny, but it's it's funny. Uh, there is a sequence, and then we go into the gospel, which is John chapter twenty, verses nineteen through twenty three. I couldn't when I was going through um, what readings we had. I couldn't have been more pleased that John twenty was our gospel. There's, I, I'm sure I've said this on the podcast. There's some weeks that you know I'm reading through and I'm getting excited about certain connections that I would love to make. Yeah. And almost inevitably, the connection I wish was there in the gospel to connect to the first reading is not the one. But this is the one. If I had to pick which gospel reading would connect to the to the first reading, it'd be this one. So I'm excited. That's awesome. And in a certain sense, it's hard for me to understand how to talk about one without the other, because one actually doesn't belong without the other. Um, but we can get to that in a minute. One of these things does not belong without the other. That's <laughs> one of these things is, incredibly is almost the same. <laughs> I, we might need to talk about them together. Well, no, that doesn't make any sense. Okay. That's not the schema of the podcast. Well, no. let me just say this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I will say this. Some, some scholars talk about the gospel as um, John's version of Pentecost or John's the Johannine Pentecost is it sometimes called, because this is the moment in the gospel that Jesus has risen from the dead, he appears to the apostles, and he gives them the Holy Spirit. 
and we so commonly associate Pentecost with the giving of the Holy Spirit. Right. But if we simply associate Pentecost with the giving of the Holy Spirit, I think we actually miss what Pentecost is. Because by the time you get to Pentecost, one of the things that the Gospel of John shows us is that the apostles already have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's already present. Um, do you remember who the first person in the Gospel to receive the Holy Spirit is? Um, John the Baptist? No. Mary? It's Mary. And yeah. this is actually comes into play with Acts of the Apostles. And we talked about this before, right? So Acts of the Acts is volume two of a two-volume set. And it always has to be looked at that way. So Acts of the Apostles is, in a, in a real way, the mirror image of the Gospel of Luke, right? So everything that Jesus, or many of the things that Jesus does and teaches and the miracles that are performed by Jesus in Luke and the Gospel, the church then does in Acts of the Apostles, right? right? So there really is a mirror image of one to the other, which is, I mean, it is a literary masterpiece, the way these two fit together. Yes. And so what we have here at Pentecost is the moment that in a very real way, the church is overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, which is the fulfillment really- Hold on. Hold on. This is the thing. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I bounced around. I bounced between the gospel yeah, yeah, and the first yeah, yeah. reading. Let's, I, I, let's I focus on the first confused, reading. confused. Okay? No, I'm sorry. Okay, we're that's fully on me. in the first reading. Yeah, that's on me. Okay. We're on the first reading. I know, I know. Okay. That's on me. It's fully okay. on me. I take full responsibility. Okay. We're in. I guess the, the only thing... Well, the... Huh. It is important, though, that we have the gospel because... Okay, so here's, I guess, what I want to say. If we think of Pentecost... Me, so here's the two beefs I have with Pentecost. And not really with Pentecost, just the way that it's sort of commonly viewed. And somebody might get mad at me for what I'm about to say. And I'm fully ready to take that in all humility, admitting that maybe there's something I don't see or don't understand. Okay. So this is me just speaking as me, not anybody else. Sometimes Pentecost is called the birthday of the church. Right, you've heard that, right? Yeah. The birthday of the church, which has always sort of bothered me because I don't, I don't know how you can see Pentecost as the birthday of the church. If we're talking about the birthday of the church, there's already been a moment that Jesus has given Peter the keys to the kingdom and said, "On this kingdom, I will build my church." He's already established the apostles, and the gospel he even shows sent us, them out and said, "Hey, right. the kingdom of God is at hand." Absolutely, and not only that, the Basileia so to <laughs> If it yes, which was last week, so. I don't see how it can be the birthday of the church because the church has already been born and is already active. And the second thing that we associate with Pentecost is the giving of the Holy Spirit. And I think the reason that that's, it's not problematic, but it's not singular because that's also already happened because the gospel shows us that the apostles have already received the Holy Spirit. And the reason I pointed out before that sometimes people call our gospel the Johannine uh, Pentecost I don't like that because it almost sounds like it's pinning John against Acts of the Apostles. It's not like here's one Pentecost and here's another version of Pentecost. No, it's a totally different event. But Pentecost isn't the moment that they, for the first time, ever received the Holy Spirit. Jesus already breathed on them after the resurrection and gave them the Holy Spirit, which means Pentecost is something else. It is still the gift of the Holy Spirit, but it's the gift of the Holy Spirit in a new way, in a unique way. Um, Mary, like we said before, has already received the Holy Spirit at the Annunciation. The Holy Spirit right. overshadowed her and she became the new temple to bear Jesus. The Holy Spirit has very much been active up to this point. So that means Pentecost is Jesus sending the Holy Spirit in a different, unique, new way. So which, that, that's which the, is, I'm, I'm trying to tear down false assumptions about Pentecost right. to kind of show what, what, what is the reality. Well, because we were already talking last week about how um, the... 
there was a group of individuals who had not yet been, yes, who had exactly. not received the Holy Spirit. So we kind of see confirmation. Yeah, Acts and, 8 totally set us up for this week, but right. in reverse order, which is funny. Which is really funny. So, I, okay, so I was looking and what is actually happening here? And I kept on, I kept on running into so the excited. three words, oh, three okay. Greek words, which uh-huh. are, in are translated Acts. In, in, in Acts um, that are translated a strong driving wind. Okay. Okay. Um, so uh, from so from the sky, a noise like a strong driving wind. Okay. 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 Sky is it can also be translated heavens. It's not like they're in an outdoor okay. patio. You know what I'm saying? Okay. What do you think? Keep going. No, no, no. I would. You reacted. What do you? Where do you think we are? I have never really. I changed my. I didn't really change my mind, but I had a new sort of understanding of where I think they are that I just have never really seen before. Okay. So there's a couple things that stuck out to me as well. And the one that one that I never noticed before really. Um, but he begins by saying, when the time for Pentecost was fulfilled. And I never really thought much about the word fulfilled because I'd always sort of taken Luke to say, well, when it was time for Pentecost. So the Pentecost, remember, it's it was like a feast day, 50 days. It's a it's a harvest feast, a really important feast day, one of the three Jewish pilgrim feasts. So you were required by Old Testament law to make pilgrimage to Jerusalem for Pentecost because it's one of the three most important of the Jewish feasts. It's 50 days after Passover. Right. So right. Penta meaning 50. Um, and it's I mean, it's a massive thing. So. I've always taken this sentence to mean, so when it was Pentecost time and it was time for everyone to gather to get together for the feast. But Luke is actually saying something else. He's saying when it came time for that Old Testament feast to now reach its fulfillment, to be fulfilled and, and I think in a certain sense transformed, when it was that time, it says they were all in one place together. Now, the one place that I don't think they are, so up until this point, so we had the Ascension last week, right? Really on Thursday. So here, here's the things that have been swirling in my mind, right? You have Easter Sunday, right? Okay. To the Feast of the Ascension. Easter Sunday to our feast that we celebrated last week is 40 days to this Ascension proper on Thursday, right? We celebrate it on Sunday, but it, it's Thursday. So 40 days from Easter Sunday to the Ascension. 40, and I was thinking about the word 40, right? Or the number 40, and all the times that you see 40s show up in the Old Testament. So, you know, you have the 40 days of the flood. You have uh, Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. You have 40, Jesus at Lent, Jesus in the wilderness and the desert for 40 days, the you, first Lent. You have a bottle of malt liquor. <laughs> A 40. You do, yeah. Um, so 40, you know, has all this great resonance. And I think it was actually Thomas Smith that I remember learning this from. Um, and he, a rabbi once told a, a friend of ours, um, that really isn't the reason that, do you know why the reason that 40 is so significant in the Jewish mindset? So seven is a significant number, partially because it speaks to something experiential that already exists in creation, right? A week, you know, this cycle of time that we already have so that when we speak about the number seven being this sign of the covenant and of God's love, there's already something experiential in the created world that we can point to. Right. And he said that 40 is actually the same thing. The reason that 40 is so significant is because it also appears in the created world. And do you know what in creation naturally occurs in 40? No. I just, I'd never, I kind of re-came across this recently and I was like, oh my gosh. Sunflowers? A pregnancy. So give or take, 40 weeks is about the time that a baby incubates in its mother's womb. 
So this rabbi was pointing out that the reason that 40 is so significant is that whenever you see 40 in the Bible, it speaks to a time that God is incubating, maturing, preparing for new life to come. So Israel wanders in the wilderness for 40 years, preparing to be the new people of Israel. They were supposed to do 40 days, but they ended up getting hit with 40 years. Right. 40 days on on the ark, Noah's ark, right? Before they go and begin the new creation again, right? Sort of start again. 40 days in the wilderness with Jesus. Right? 40s is always a preparation, a maturation, um, uh, incubation. I, I hear Thomas Smith's voice saying, maturation, incubation, preparation, um, <laughs> over and over again. But it's so good because it's stuck in my mind that way. Dude, we, and have, so to have, the, we have to bring Tom Smith onto the I podcast. Love, we should. I would love that. I would love that because I just love Tom. Huh? Mm. If you're listening, Tom, you're no, probably not. And he might be. He might be. He has before. We love you. Um, but so I was thinking about, it's 40 days between Easter and the Ascension, which means what we know, and this is sort of where we, you can't separate the gospel from this, to be honest with you. So Jesus appears to the disciples on Easter Sunday, that first day, and it says that he stayed with them for 40 days, teaching and preaching to them and preparing them for what was to come. And what's interesting is that the Bible doesn't tell you what Jesus taught them for those 40 days, Mm-mm. which is kind of surprising, right? You'd expect that if Except it's... for the disciples on the road to Emmaus. But that's not what he... W- but not the apostles. Not the apostles. He appeared to the disciples, and we get that insight. But he was with the apostles for 40 days, which is a long, stinking time. I mean, Telling think them, about, preparing think them, about Easter. Them, I mean, it feels right? like, like... Think about the quarantine. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's that. a long time. And so you'd think, well, why don't we know what he said? We know he what he talked about... But we don't know what he said, or do we? And of course we do, because that's what the apostles preaching and their whole kerygma is after Pentecost. When they get up and they give sermons and speeches and teach and preach, it's all the stuff that Jesus had been preparing them for during these 40 days of incubation for the church kind of coming to life in a certain sense. Yeah. So that takes us to the ascension. And then we, of course, have our novena, the nine days then that leads us into Pentecost of preparation where they spend the nine days praying for the giving of the Holy Spirit. So I was thinking of that whole thing, which was just really beautiful. It was just an insight I'd never really thought about before. Mm. Um, but then what we know is that then when it was finally time Hold for on. Pentecost. Yeah, which, which, I mean, let's say that you, you know, you would, you would um, circumcise within eight days of birth, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, on the eighth day, actually. On the eighth Not day. within eighth day, but on the eighth day. Yeah. So this is the next one. Yeah. Oh, I see. Oh, oh. Oh, my. <laughs> oh and, that's interesting. Yeah, the family bond is established oh, that's through cool. the Trinitarian life. Yeah, because I'm like, okay, well, if we have that, you know, because, yeah. The you, idea of new life, the idea of childbirth, that's, yeah. yeah. That's kind of cool. That is really cool. Nice. I I wanna, I'm going to chew on that some Yeah, I, I really don't really good. know what that means, but I feel It merits there. attention, though, doesn't it, it? it? There's a poetry there that feels good. Okay, so during those 40 days, we know that they're in the upper room. Or, or more or less, right? Well, no. <laughs> They're camping during out the, the nine day, Well, during the nine days they are, right? Right. And it says they kind of locked themselves in. They were afraid. So they're in the upper room. But here at Pentecost, I don't think that's where they are. And, you know, there's been speculation. But there's a reason we can put this all together. And I know I already know how you think about this. And I've, I, I'm, I'm on your team no, now. No, dude, you don't I'm, know what I'm thinking. Okay. Because okay, I, well, I got some crazy stuff. I, I, right, well, I, I just think that, that you say sky... And I mean, it could be, but it, the heavens, it's, it's, well, well here's, here's uh, the thing. Location though. will, it, it, location doesn't matter to what I'm actually trying to say. Okay. Cause it does to what I'm going to say what? a lot. 
Um, when it says they were all in one place together and suddenly there came the noise like a driving wind, it says it filled the entire house in which they were. And that's the key for me. Because later on, we find out what time it was when this is all taking place. Before 9 a.m. Because everybody's around, drinking. Around, well, no, 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 no. Because <laughs> they say, why are you drunk? And it's right. not even 9 a.m. yet. And Peter goes out of it. Luke goes out of his way to point out to Peter saying, how can we be drunk? It's not even 9 a.m. It's or, or it's only 9 a.m. And what we know is that the first liturgy of the Jewish Pentecost feast would happen at 9 a.m. on that day. That's when everyone would gather at the temple for the opening liturgy, which happened at 9 in the morning. So at 9 in the morning, they're gathered in the temple. That's why it says not that they're in the upper room. They're gathered in one place, and a strong wind and a noise filled the house. The house is the temple. That's okay. where they are. Okay, dude, this is going to blow your mind what okay, I'm about okay. to say then. All right, all right. But does, do you see what I'm saying? Absolutely. Okay, a sound like a rushing violent wind okay. is actually how it, it's, it actually says a rushing wind violent. Okay. Okay, so we know that, okay, th- this, um, this rushing wind, this is really, really pretty crazy. Because I looked in and I was like, what does it actually even mean to, to be a rushing wind? And the Septuagint translation is uh, actually to bring or to present all kinds of persons and things, but especially gifts brought or offerings, sacrifices to the temple. So what happens is that that this is, and it's the sound, it's the real act of offering or dedication, the burning or waving of the gift by the priest. Really? Yeah, so this this word actually has all of this context of the sacrifices of the temple being brought and presented before before uh, the before I the mean, lord on, by the man. priest and they're in the temple and the new priests are in the temple being sacri- as a new offering a violent offering <laughs> because i don't know what to do with that but well, okay no, no cuz cuz you look and you see the hold on let me get to the the word the um uh, the violent um, while you're looking that up i just want to point out that in hebrew um the word for wind spirit and breath are all the same word. It's all the Hebrew word ruah, which is significant because you could also say what's rushing through the house is the spirit mm. and the wind, which is also the breath of God. Wind, breath, and spirit, it's all the same term for what's rushing through. The, this uh, this rushing wind is actually not that same term. Oh, it's not? It's pharos. Well, that's Greek. It's but it, yeah, uh, not Ruah, Ruah is the Hebrew, R- right? It, it's, yeah, this it, is in Greek. It's not actually because because we actually talk about the Holy Spirit, um, and it's pneuma. Uh, uh, pneuma, it'd be pneuma, pneuma. But this is pharos. This is a, really this is actually a different oh, term. A, I didn't know that. That's why I was like, what? Oh is, what's going on? Because this isn't just this isn't the sound of the Holy Spirit. This is the sound of something else of of an offering to God wow. that we would actually speak of the 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 presentation of themselves towards God. And now what happens is that oh, that's and then, very cool. And then pneus, so rushing wind. And then Pinoes uh, Baeas. So it's crazy because it's it's actually they're presenting themselves for sacrifice in the temple towards the Lord. And what does the Lord then do? On the day that the harvest offerings are being offered. And what Luke told you is that's now being fulfilled. It's not simply that it's time to do it again. Right. It's time for fulfillment of the harvest feast when we offer ourselves back to God. And what and 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 the same term was used for the sacrifices wow. 
for, of Cain and Abel. Mm. And so what, what happens is that the fire now descends on the offered offerings wow. to consume them and make them holy. Wow. So, so it's, it's almost as if the fire that came down from heaven consumes and allowed, and, and then, and then what happens is that they just go totally off. Now, now they, they have, they, I have goosebumps talking about That's this right now. That's awesome. That it's like, it's, it's this, the sacrifice was accepted is really what I see this, these, these flame, this flame as then sitting. It's interesting because the words actually it says come. seated. Yeah. Yeah. It's to be seated next yeah. to. Yeah. Which then what do they do? So the fact that that happens makes them, it says there were devout Jews from every nation in Jerusalem because it's the pilgrim feast. They have to be there. Right. And then the apostles get up and start preaching, which suggests, and I think I also got this from Tom Smith, I'm not sure, that they're probably somewhere near the Eastern Steps, which are known as the preaching steps. It's actually where the Pharisees and other religious teachers would get up and preach to people, which is what probably catches everyone's attention. The reason that that's significant is that the bottom of the Eastern Steps, where people were known to preach and teach, the very bottom of the Eastern Steps, archaeologists have discovered at least 50 mikvah baths, which right. was this massive area that bum, 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 you could baptize a whole lot of people in one pop which is probably where they all are, um, which is really amazing. And so so based on everything that we've said and all that you've just added, here's here's one of the things, and I don't mean, want to get to the, the so what too early, right? but I do have a takeaway from this that I've been reflect. This is my, where my reflection comes in. Um, if they're where we think they are, if they are in the temple, that's the, the house, the bet that they're gathered in while this huge, mighty, violent, rushing wind offering is taking place. Right. There are devout people from all over the known world gathered in Jerusalem. 3,000 of them will be baptized this day. The temple was massive, right? There's tons of people there. Right. But what that tells me, so aside from all of the details of what's happening with the apostles and the disciples here, it also tells me that there are 3,000 people gathered in the temple that day who are ready to worship, who are expecting to give themselves to God as an offering because they've made this pilgrim celebration and, and travel, who are actually open to what the Holy Spirit is going to do on this great feast, who see and witness this mighty wind rushing through the temple, who hear the apostles and they're like, yeah, the, who have predisposed themselves with an openness that, yeah, we're going, it's, it's kind of a, in a twisted way, <laughs> you know, that what we were talking about before, you know, taking bets that the end of the world is going to happen on Pentecost. The idea, and this is what really kind of floored me and really um, um, spoke to me in a, in a it, it uh, uh, what's the word? Not critiqued me. It, it um, convicted you. It convicted me that there's people going to the temple at Pentecost expecting, anticipating God could move now. God can do something new. And I think about feasts and I think about Pentecost and I think about the liturgical year as this simple way of remembering what was done in the past. But in the Jewish mindset, feasts are all about, yes, remembering what was done in the past, but also anticipating what God was going to do in the future. Mm. And this made me think to myself, how many times do I go into liturgical calendar feasts or do I go into Pentecost or Easter or whatever it is, not just thinking about all the cool facts I know about this from the past, but anticipating what God is going to do now in the future for us. And the mm. fact that 3,000 people were predisposed to say, yeah, we were ready for God to move today. Baptize us. Let's go. We want to move forward. That It's really convicting to me in kind of a negative way because I don't know 
that I go into the liturgical life thinking that way. You know what I well, mean? Okay, so Scott, we, you and I actually have a fundamental movement to this. Okay. We, when we decided after the third year of us doing this oh, that yeah. we were like, should we actually, we had a big uh, big question, should we actually keep doing the podcast? Yeah. I remember calling Neil and, and yeah. saying, Neil, should we do this? And yeah. Your and brother. My brother. And um, and. And you, and we you and I discussed this, but then the truth is, is that it's actually been profoundly fruitful for, mm. for both of us because mm. we intrinsically we say there is actually something new to discover rather than new. merely a, a context. Right. That, that there is a movement the deeper that we can go, and that's why we're in. Your, this is why we've done it two plus times now. That's true, we're, and it's what gives us sort of the the confidence that we can go in week after week and come out with something new that we hadn't seen before because there is all of this. Yeah, you're right. Like, so we have something fundamental that yeah. we're doing, but the, but the, but, but what you're saying is convicting me as well. Am I willing to go into a liturgy and to say, God, you're going to do something totally unexpected and big and larger than what I, when I could have done. Why not? This R- is the whole right. doxology, right? This is the nature of liturgy. Christ has come. Christ is risen. Christ will come again past into present for the future. That's the whole nature of liturgy. We recall what has been done by God in the past. We bring it into the present to anticipate Mm. what he will do in the future. So when we celebrate Christmas, we're not just thinking about a baby who was born 2,000 years ago. We're anticipating him coming again in the second coming. When we Mm. celebrate Easter, we're not just thinking about, oh, what an amazing event that happened on Calvary Mm. at that day. We're anticipating the day that we will be risen again from the dead, that all of us will participate in this, right? But I I guess I'm convicted because I don't think about that enough. I just think right. about what I remember you rather just, than anticipate what God... And seriously, the fact that 3,000 people, that's a lot of people, right. showed up to the liturgy and they're like, yeah, we're totally open to this. Right. When you've seen the whole gospel story is just all of these people in Jerusalem who just want to put up walls against it. And right. no, we will not listen. We will not hear you. And the fact that there's so many others who actually have the opposite mindset. They're like, da, 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 da. We'll just kill a pilgrim feast, you know, got to do this every year, right. which I'm sure there's, there was, I'm sure there's plenty. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm yeah. sure there's a family who's like, here's the thing. Okay. But maybe they walk too, up, when they saw, back. they witness what God is doing. Cause you can see what God is doing and harden yourself to it. Right. Or you can see what God is doing and be like, oh, okay, let, let's go. You know what I mean? Which actually brings us to the psalm, I think. Right. Well, it's send forth your spirit. They are created and you renew the face of the earth. Like, right. there Which is, is an anticipation. You, but it's also future tense. Lord, send you. So it's believed that Psalm 104 is written in a certain sense as a reflection on Genesis chapter one. When you see God's spirit hovering over the face of the deep of which creation will be born. Right, ruah. God will create his ruah. So it remembers the creation of Genesis, but it also anticipates not just creation, but new creation, recreation, right? Send out your spirit, future tense, and renew the face of the earth. We will be watching for it and looking for it and waiting for it because we know that you have created and now we know that you will recreate all of us because we've seen it. Right. Because we know that, again, the Holy Spirit is not a one a one-shot deal that happens at Pentecost and then that's it. Right. But that the Holy Spirit has been active since the dawn of creation, and he will continue to be active in our lives, and we just need to anticipate all the ways in which we haven't even dreamed that he's going to be active in our lives. Right. But that's what really this psalm is a reflection on. And I, I, I um, the one thing I was thinking about is I think liturgically, Psalm 104 is actually put in the liturgy 
as a reflection on the vigil mass readings, which start with Genesis chapter one, with the spirit hovering over the face of creation. Mm. And Psalm 104 is meant to be the fruition of that. We carry it over into the readings for the day of Pentecost as well. But I think it's it's most properly seated within the vigil readings because the church is like, see how this has come full circle and how we anticipate it to keep going, yeah. which is kind of cool, I think. That's really cool. And then I, there's the, the line, uh, may the glory of the Lord endure forever. Mm-hmm. There was something that you were saying before that just gave me this distinct impression of the glory of God. Something about Mary? <laughs> no, just uh, uh, but, uh, but, no. Uh, it was just actually proximate. Is this moment that you were talking about, like this anticipation mm, of yeah. of of God actually doing something righteous in mm. the moment, and and it's it, it it's like what we typically we call encounter. Yeah, right. Like we say we encounter God. Yeah. It's like no, I'm going to anticipate that something is real and and new is abundant and you're going to renew now. Isn't there something about the nature of anticipation that actually makes life worth living? Yes. Because it, there's one thing to just be kind of stuck in the now, which is cumbersome sometimes. And it, it, there's joys and there's, you know, all sorts of things. But the idea of anticipating tomorrow and what could be and what might happen, you know, there's just... It's- there's really so wonderful. much of the spiritual life in that that right. we anticipate and we anticipate it because we know the past. We know what God has done and we anticipate he's going to do new things in the future. I think this is why Amazon is so <laughs> successful. Because they get rid of the notion of anticipation? No, because anticipation, because when you mail order versus actually just going into a store and buying, you get this, you get two or three days of anticipation. And I think it's actually a a replacement Mm. for some of the eschatological anticipation that that we are longing for. Because I say, man, here come my batteries. I'm super excited. I ordered an inflatable stand-up paddleboard that's supposed to arrive tomorrow, and I'm as excited as I've been about anything. <laughs> right. I ordered some RAM for my mom's computer and I'm stoked. You know? RAM is coming. The RAM is coming. Like, and, 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 That's but, the title for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the RAM is coming. But like, th- that's, it's, it's, yeah. it's exciting. But then actually what we're meant to do is to take the, 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 those expressions that are so little and, and ultimately unfulfilling. Yeah. And to be able to put them into the, that, uh, an anticipation within the liturgy itself of the new thing that God wants to do. And it's not that they're unfulfilling. It's just that they're tiny fractions of what we're yes. really looking for. I mean, they're, they're good things. They're, they're perfectly good or neutral, that, right? That inflatable paddleboard is going to be pretty dope. Where are you going to use it, by the way? Uh, Boulder Reservoir, I think. Yeah. We're going to take it up to the mountains and stuff. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, but but it also, for Amazon, for that, that psyche, the psychology of Amazon to work... It needs to assume that you've experienced it in the past. You know what that feels like to actually receive the package, for the truck to pull up, for you to get the box, to come home and see the thing on your porch. You know what I mean? Right. It, you need the experience of having sort of gone through that in some sense to know what you're anticipating. Mm. You've already had a taste of it, and now you can. Now I'm going to get this other thing, this new thing, this greater thing. And I think God actually uses all those little things in our lives, which are not negative, to point toward that actually speaks to what you're really desiring, right. which is this eschatological fulfillment, which really, I think in a certain sense is what Paul is talking about in Corinthians. Oh, I don't know if that's true. I just wanted to segue. <laughs> I needed, I needed someone to segue. I looked at that and I was like, I was like, I think he's making this up. Really? <laughs> you saw right through me. Yeah. Oh. Cause I'm like, Jesus be accursed. The, the, nobody can say that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> what? And I was yeah. like, I, that's what the first words that my the, my eyes fell upon, and I was like, he's 
He's just looking for a segue. Well, I okay, I will say this. So so 1 Corinthians 12, this is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church, which is a disaster. The Corinthian church, by the way, probably one probably one of the most well catechized and deeply sinful churches of the New Testament world. <laughs> if you think about that combination, Paul stayed 18 months in Corinth. Remember that? Yeah, I mean, he was that's with them a for a lot year of and a teaching. half teaching them. And again, you see in the letter catechesis is not their problem. They can recite chapter and verse. They can they can give you the definition of all these different things, right? Mm-hmm. Which there's something weirdly, again, convicting and comforting and simultaneously about catechesis isn't enough. And that's really what this passage is getting at, is that you can know all the stuff. You can read a whole bunch of books. You can listen to all the best podcasts and sermons and, like you know, he like yes, do all the things. But that doesn't actually give you the dunamis, right? The empowerment of the Holy Spirit to actually live it. There's the knowledge of it, which can get you there. And there's, I mean, there are intellectual conversions, right? And you can read and, and become convinced. Right. But it actually requires another step. You need the Holy Spirit to then be the dynamic that actually moves you. And so Paul is telling an incredibly well catechized, but very selfish and splintered community of believers that, yeah, you're relying on yourselves right. and your personality cults and your associations and all of these things about you rather than actually being guided by the Holy Spirit, because it's just not enough what you've been doing. This, by the way, chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians falls in this little section of the book where he's specifically talking about abuses of the liturgy. And you get the impression here. So he, he, it seems random almost. Brothers and sisters, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit, which I think that's partially beautiful because people said Jesus is Lord prior to Pentecost, right? Which tells you that Pentecost, again, isn't the one stop only time the Holy Spirit showed up. People in the gospel were saying that. And the woman at the well in Samaria, the least likely person Obviously, Paul is saying, had the gift of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost hadn't happened yet. Jesus didn't show up in his glory and breathe on the apostles in this big, amazing, priestly way. But the Holy Spirit has always been there. It's always been the source of dunamis to allow us to do this. And to the degree that you can say those words, which are some of the most provocative and courageous words in any language, it's because the Holy Spirit has given you the ability to do that. Mm. And to the degree that you've put it all in yourself and your knowledge and the books that you've read or the people that you've listened to, that you've missed it. And then he goes on to say, look, there's all sorts of different spiritual gifts. Some of you are good speakers. Some of you are good podcasters. Some of you are good, you know, whatever it is, writers. But there's one spirit and it's working through these different forms. And again, he's speaking to this community specifically who is splintered among themselves about who is better than who and who is outread or been outpreached by whom. And, you know, I've listened to this many Scott Hahn books and, you know, it's that kind of thing. Like we've seen it in the rest of Corinthians. They're associating themselves with all the people that they know, their name drop. They're Tahani from The Good Place, right? They're constantly name dropping how awesome they are because of all the people they know. A couple of you will get that reference. But you do get the impression that's what they're doing, yeah. right? And Paul's like, mm-mm, that's, that's not how it works. The least among you, the, the, the custodian, the janitor who has the gift of the Holy Spirit and the dunamis of the Holy Spirit is as great, if not greater, than the governor of the city, 
because they're all given to drink of one spirit. Right. I actually think that in a certain way, there's a wisdom by pulling out the gifts in their distinctions, which are, are kind of a little bit light. They're not an exhaust, exhaustive list right. of the church to just say like, you know what? Okay, let's not even focus on, are we talking about Sophia or are we talking about wisdom and Gnosis, Sophia versus Gnosis? And mm-hmm. you're like, mm-hmm. like, no, no, no. Like, we're just all like, it's okay. Yeah. We're, we're all in it. Right. Right. And, and, right. and you, you got some gifts because the spirit right. is super active. So you can be excited about and right. anticipate the, what the Lord is going to do. Right. In you in its own unique way. Or in somebody else that you didn't even expect it to have, but you, expect him to work through, who's not you, but you can still rejoice because right. you can actually see that. What does the psalm say? You can see him sending out his spirit and renewing the face of the earth. Which leads us into the gospel. Into the gospel. And this is, again, what we've been talking about kind of around this whole time. And I love what the what the scriptures do because they take this 50 days, right? The incubation, the growing in the womb of the church with the really 10 days, the decade of the— it's sometimes called the decade of the Holy Spirit. Those 10 <laughs> days from the ascension of the Lord on Thursday to the giving of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. Right. The decade of the Holy Spirit or the novena or the, the time of the circumcision. I don't know how that fits. But, but <laughs> all these different aspects. And what the scriptures have done is given us this giant chiasm. They've given us the bookends. They said, okay, here's what happens, and here's how it began— And so this is, and we talked about this last week, right? But this is where the church gets, I think, its major paradigm for understanding the gift of confirmation. To say, hey, by the way, don't forget, the apostles already received the Holy Spirit. They already were given this gift, just like you were, hopefully, in your baptism. But there's also this moment that God wants to give you, which we call confirmation, sacramentally, where he's going to light it up and he's going to flip the switch and he's going to ignite that gift that you already have and has already been active in your life. And he's going to do things through you that will renew the face of the earth, like the psalm says. That's what happens to the church. It's not that, I mean, we think about Pentecost, I do, think about Pentecost sometimes as this like magic trick. Like they're just hanging out and then this major magic trick miracle happens and then all of a sudden everything changes. Rather than think, no, this has been 50 days of preparation and hard work and confusion and misunderstanding and listening and sitting and waiting and preparation for the Feast of Pentecost to show up and everything to make sense. Not just, oh, it came out of nowhere and all of a sudden they have the Holy Spirit and they're doing crazy things. No, this was a month and a half. This was roughly a quarantine time of preparation to change the world, which that make becomes much more real and human mm. to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Rather than Pentecost as being this kind of thing out of nowhere, just, oh my gosh, what happened? No, Jesus has been hard at work with these guys, sitting day after day, preaching, teaching, and then you see the fruit of all of the hard work and the labor pains and everything else as you read the rest of Acts of the Apostles. And you're like, oh, that's what he's been saying to them, mm. which I just think is cool. I think it's really cool. I like the the bookends, and I I I think about kind of the contemporary world we live in, uh, and like I, I have this judgment in my heart that Uh-oh. that what we've done is we've been forced to be virtualized. Yeah. Like we, we for the first time in the in the history of the universe, we have access to uh, amazing Everything. amounts of information yeah. and. 
and ideas and people can download this in Tajikistan uh, or as easily as they can in um in Boulder. Naiwat. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In Naiwat. Like like you can you, this is, is is universal, but there's a certain experience right now to where everything was forced to be virtualized in our engagements right. and people are exploding. They can't do it right. because right. The, because um we're not made for just being in quarantine in the same way that I look at the apostles like yeah they were gathered and they kind of were like they were being taught and they were there but really the the kingdom wants to explode out into the world like it wants to like go as far and and reach as wide as it can in 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 this profoundly personal way not to get I don't know I don't know how this is gonna come out because I'm not a woman um, but any of you out there who have experienced pregnancy. <laughs> oh, that's why you smile. Especially <laughs> we have a good friend who's pregnant and is going to give birth in a few weeks. You're not meant to stay pregnant forever. And as the summer gets hotter and you're like, okay, I'm kind of ready for this baby to be out of me, right? Right. It's it's important. And you actually can't do it without that time. But you're not meant to stay pregnant forever. You're meant to give birth. And you're meant for the birth and that new child to go and grow and do things. Mm. So that time is important. But you can't under... I mean, this is the, this is the thing. We don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Sorry for the analogy. <laughs> <laughs> but you need the period of preparation and incubation and preparation and maturation, like Thomas Smith keeps saying in my head. <laughs> but for the sake of what the child's going to be, you can't t- write off either of those things. Right. One needs the other. Right. And the other is dependent on having had the other but that's the that's the whole paradigm of the church this is ecclesiology 101 right this is how it works well that's actually why i'm excited for what's coming Mm. culturally for whatever that is whatever that is i don't know exactly how this is going to maturate but i know that that it's not going to be virtual (laughs) right this can't this isn't to remain this way forever right and we're not meant to be locked in jerusalem forever right and so the, so there's something that's, that's a reference to luke that, yeah that's <laughs> thanks for you bet. reminding you bet, me man. I, uh, but yeah th- th- i think that that's what I, i'm anticipating is that there's there's just there's a hope and that's yeah. that's really where like there there's some things that run around that say is this a storm is this a season or is this a fundamental shift and i'm and and, and, and it could be all three it could be all three but what's coming is is also to be anticipated as something powerful and joyful and wonderful right. and if you just anticipate death and doom and lack of freedom and we're all just destroyed and it's going to be one world order that's going to hold us at syringe point until we're like you know that's really <laughs> whatever depressing. yeah no exactly but what it's a like, terrible place to live that's what, what I'm a, saying what a hopeless place to live right um and I don't want to live there. And God doesn't want any of us to live there. No. And he's like, look, we've been through worse. We've, we've, I, we, we need to remember history and remember all the times that God has worked through history and beyond history to do things that nobody ever anticipated. <laughs> you guys, it's been absolutely wonderful to uh, find a little hope with you guys. Yes. And to have, call down the spirit and let it manifest and uh, manifest you as an offering pleasing unto the Lord because yep. you are pleasing to the Lord, Scott. Oh, thanks, man. I didn't know you were going (laughs) to make it personal. Yeah, but you guys who are listening, you guys are pleasing to the Lord. It's just just the best. And so I may you explode in flame this weekend. Get yourself a kite and fly it. That's a traditional way to celebrate Pentecost. Yeah, why is that? I don't know. It's a thing. Let's go fly Fly a kite kite up to to the highest heights. All right, bye, everybody. Word on the Hill podcast is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. 
You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org slash A-I-C-T. And you can find the Lanky Guys podcast at lankyguys.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back next time.